Hi guys, welcome back to the season. We're actually going to start off a slightly different way this time. Uh, between the two seasons, that's season 11 and season 12 that you're listening to now, uh, Jamie Doss, who has written into the podcast before, has sent us in an email and he writes, First off, great job this season, guys. I think you both hit the pop mark. Secondly, Declan, you're daft if you think your voice is bad. Perhaps you're right that you have a limited range, but that doesn't mean it's bad. I thoroughly enjoyed all of your songs from this run, and if it's any consolation or at least commiseration, I don't like my voice either. Uh... Speaking personally, I don't think anybody likes their own voice. Uh, but thank you for the kind words. But that's not why we're reading this out. Moving on, I had an idea I thought I'd toss out for consideration in the next season. What if you added a twist to the weekly song challenge? Purposely trying to emulate the feel of a particular artist you might be fond of. Obviously, as you both spoke about in the wrap-up episode, we are all, at the end of the day, the product of our influences. But I thought it might be interesting to try and really channel you in a Led Zeppelin or Beatles or even Frank Turner. Maybe I'm daft for suggesting it, but either way, looking forward to part two of the wrap-up. And by the way, I love the new album, Declan. Rock on. Thank you very much. Uh, Tara James. Well, thank you very much for writing in. And that is a very good idea for a season of the podcast. In fact, it's such a good idea for a season of the podcast, we were already doing it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Weekly Song Podcast. I'm Roger. Uh, I'm still Declan, unbelievably. And this is the podcast where Declan and I, we each write a song in the space of a week and we bring them to the show and we talk about how we wrote them, the construction of the chords, the lyrics, the influences that went into them. And yeah, hello Declan. Hello Roger. How has the break between seasons been for you? It's been uh, <laughs> maybe a little too relaxed, I think, um, because coming back to writing again was pretty difficult. How about you? Yeah, I felt I needed to take a wee bit of a run at uh, the writing this time, which is kind of like, you know, get back into the get the uh, old songwriting juice pumping through my veins. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because we write Monday to Sunday and I knew I was going to struggle, I could just kind of feel it. I was like, I'm going to start writing on Monday. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I don't get a full song, but I'm just going to try, you know. You actually got yours done really early in the week, which I'm continually jealous of. Um, but uh, this is going to be a slightly different season of the podcast where our influences for songwriting are going to become much more important. Every week this run, we're going to be taking a particular influence from either a style of music or a genre, or a specific artist, or, in this first case, a record label, uh, and trying to create a song that could conceivably fit within those barriers and talk about some of the things that we've used to try and make it sound that way. And for this first week, we have actually picked Motown Records. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, you and I were both big fans of, of Motown and just the, I don't know, they call it the uh, the hit factory, don't they? You know, Hitsville, Motown. USA. Hitsville, USA. And they just churned out like single after single after single of just, uh, you know, fantastic stuff, whether it's, you know, the Jacksons or Stevie Wonder, the Supremes, the Temptations, Marvin Gaye, the list goes on and on and on. Just like, just such well-written songs and well-crafted. So, and some great songwriters within those walls, uh, leaving aside people like Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder who wrote their own records. You have people like Holland Dozier Holland. You have Barry Gordy. Uh, Smokey Robinson is a fantastic writer as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just this perfect little hit factory in the middle of the 60s and the 70s, which perfectly hits our retro um, soft spot as well. It has to be said. <laughs> it really does. I mean, I hope I speak for us both, Declan, when I say that I think the challenge in this is that you know, we both love Motown and we both, you know, really admire the songwriting, but you and I are kind of a little bit more rock-centric in our songwriting, whether that's acoustic rock or classic rock or something, rather than sort of R&B and soul. So I think, you know, investigating and exploring those uh, writing techniques was sort of the challenge for me this time. So mm, Yeah, I definitely took a different, not to give anything away, but I definitely took a different view of what was important in the writing of this week's song than i normally do and what i mean by that you shall find out later <laughs> absolutely um so we do take it in turns as to who uh plays their song first each week um it's my time to play my song first this week so just to 
preempt this a little bit. Um, I'm because we're doing like a like a influences season this time. I'm producing my songs up more fully this time. You know, usually we'll do like an acoustic demo, but um, you know, as as time goes on, time becomes a bit more constrictive, and uh, so I wanted to try and see if I could cram in a. <laughs> a fully produced thing each week so we'll see i've got less time so let's do more (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what the logic is in that but something you know there's uh logic to the madness or something there uh and by contrast i am in intolerably lazy so i shall be sticking to (laughs) the uh the acoustic bare bones demo uh unless i have some time off uh way four here we come <laughs> god i mean to be fair i'm I, i'm saying all this but like week three you might just hear me like strumming a ukulele into an iphone microphone and hear me giving up but that's the plan <laughs> i just love it like we do week three as like singer songwriter kind of thing and it is literally you've done it fully produced but it is just one acoustic guitar that'd be funny to me <laughs> yeah exactly oh yeah and one other final thing before we get into the songs is that um this week's motown week and then at the end of each episode we'll be saying what the next week's challenge is so um because we totally know what they are in advance 100 <laughs> percent. we've got the whole season worked out we could give you a list right now to be honest with you but you know we're not because you know it's a bit, a bit of a steep <laughs> <laughs> We're a professional operation. Oh, 12 seasons and we're still, we're still, we're still us, you know? Yeah, we've, we've not lost that essential. <laughs> Other people call it unprofessional, we call it authentic. Yeah, we call it being down to earth, man. <laughs> so my song this week in the style of Motown, or, well, I'll, I'll kind of, I hesitate to say that, but I'll get into all of that later. But anyway, it's called... A side of life I've never seen. Ooh. And it goes like this. I've become a little cynical in the years I've been hiding away. If I'm living through a miracle, then I'm throwing it all away. Afraid of our love, cause it's never been perfect. We paid a price, so it better be worth it. And I never understand what it means. It's a side of life I've never seen. And it breaks my heart to know that I can't love you. Well, I've never been a criminal running right in the silver moon. Try to be original, but I've been singing the same old words to the same old tune. Oh, what would you like now? Whatever you're choosing. Oh, what you mean to me? I'm starting to slip on the land that I'm losing. And I never understand what it means. It's a side of life I've never seen. And it breaks my heart to know that I can't love you. Every new reminder rattles around my mind like common change. It's always the same. And if my heart was lighter, I would be up and flying away. Thank you. 
that was Roger's song, uh, A Side of Life I've Never Seen. I really like that. It's kind of got that really 50s, 60s, like... It's got that groove like going on throughout it. And it's got some really lovely lyrics, really lovely playful bits with backing harmonies there as well. Uh, so how did you get from Motown Records? Uh, what, what have you taken from that to bring into this song? Right, well, thanks, first of all. Um yeah, so um, <laughs> I think the thing that struck me when I kind of like finished the recording or even started to arrange it was the fact that it starts with that rock and roll. Dum -ba -dum -ba -na 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 -na. It starts with that, but that was kind of an afterthought. So I was kind of a bit reluctant to kind of keep that because it, it's like Motown kind of borrows elements of rock and roll sometimes, you know, but like it's still a little bit um, out of place. Um so that bit is just kind of there because, you know, it's the best thing I could think to kind of fit the um, the the joining sections, whether that's the intro or between chorus and verse and that sort of thing. Uh, but as far as uh, the Motown influence on this one, um, I started out by just listening to some Motown, you know, just kind of going through and... Um, the best research. <laughs> probably the only real um, appropriate research um, that I could have done. And yeah, just start, started listening through to stuff and... Um, the one that I kind of found the most influence from was Baby Love by The Supremes. Ooh, we're going to be returning to that song. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's such a good song, isn't it? Oh, it's so good. I mean, there's so many good Motown songs, but that has always been one of my favourites. Um, and, like, that's what I was saying before, you know, in the intro, like, um, of, of the podcast... Um, I'm used to writing, like, because if you said, you know, write a rock song or something like that, I'd kind of know the structure of, like, and the type of tempos and rhythms and drum beats and all that sort of thing that a rock song has. But with Motown, although I've listened to a lot of it, I've never sort of tried to write in that style. So I think going to a Motown hit for, like, inspiration, just in terms of rhythm, was important. So Baby Love's got kind of got that baby love... Da -da 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 I mean, you could easily imagine that on the rock and roll uh, power chord to sit kind of thing. That fits on that rhythm, but it's not entirely of that world. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I think um, I think the crazy thing was with doing something like trying to write a Motown song is that I realised how much I fell short sometimes, you know? Again, this is something that we shall be returning to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you go, oh, I'm going to write a Motown song. That sounds like a fun challenge. And you try but, to do it. And what you wind up with is you go, oh, I, I seem to be stuck in my ways to some aspect, to, to some respect. <laughs> well, the thing is, it sounds much easier to write a Motown song than... It actually is. It's something that's so distinctive that you can pick out things like, yeah, it's a James Jameson bass, or it's a piano bits that are doing this, or it's, you know, uh, these little bits of backing vocals. But, like, you just incorporate, like, a few of those elements, and you still haven't got a Motown song. You still need to, like, dig deeper and find what it is that's at the core of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, exactly. It's so true. I mean, a lot of the Motown stuff is down to the way the stuff is played as well as what's been written. Mm. So, like, even if that's just like a piano line or something, just like piano chords being played, there's a certain feel to that, which, you know, to play in the same style as, I don't know, Aretha Franklin or something, um, you know, you have to kind of change your whole way of playing. So I think for, for me, um, so yeah, I started out with the... Um, the sort of baby love rhythm, you know, baby love, 12 8 sort of thing. And what I quickly found was like, oh, I'm just writing like the same chords I normally write, but to a Motown <laughs> rhythm. And, uh, you know, whether that's for better or for worse. And I think the element that really kind of stood out to me with, with listening to Motown was, uh, was the rhythm section. Um, you know, uh, James Jameson's bass playing is like a such a signature thing in the Motown sound. It's kind of, I mean, there's so many elements to James Jameson's playing, but like one thing is that the bass lines don't just stick to the root; they move all over the place, and often they walk. So the walking bass lines, you know, dum 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 dum. That's an example of a. Walking baseline. Um, His bass parts know. are just all over the neck. Like if you hear the isolated tracks for um, the title track on what's going on, or like the first track, uh, it, 
if you just listen to the isolated bass, it you cannot pick out the tune at all. It just sounds almost like random bass notes. But then when you hear it in context and you suddenly think, oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> I get it now. Like it, it's because it, they were all jazz players, uh, the Funk Brothers, to start off with. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, like um, they were the smart. Uh, there's a great documentary called Hitsville, The Making of Motown. But they talk about getting uh, a consistent backing band in. And they said, well, the Funk Brothers were some of the jazz players around uh, who weren't getting any other work and they were the smartest players we knew. So uh, we uh, we got them in to do our stuff. And it always ended up sounding really good. Oh, that's so cool. I love that they had like the chops and know-how um, of jazz, but kind of like funneled that into something that's completely radio friendly exactly yeah it's a skill it really is and and that bass playing from james jameson often um is so busy but it doesn't feel too busy you know like there's a distinct there's a fine line Mm. and uh yeah so i mean again it's it's where i kind of try to emulate that and I don't. I mean, I'm not trying to put myself down. I'm not trying to say like I fell short of that. But what I realized is like I'm a rock bassist. <laughs> you know, I'm not like a funk bassist <laughs> or something. So uh, I'll stick with one and five if that's perfectly all right with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I ended up playing just like a bunch of stuff that's very Elvis-like. You know, that sort of well, that classic bassline dum 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 dum, and I came up with loads of variations on it, which I was like fairly pleased with. But at the heart of it, it was still that bassline. Mm. Um, but I just, I felt like the main thing that kind of taught me about arranging and writing was like a baseline can change a song completely. You know, if you kind of like took a lot of the James Jameson records and replaced them with somebody who just played the root notes, um, it would just be totally different groove to the song and stuff. Hmm. It's the bass is kind of, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's just one of those tools that is can be so vital to making a recording or a piece of songwriting work but it's ideally the invisible tool yes which sadly means it doesn't get as much spotlight as like blazing lead guitar or like a singer who's got like a fantastic range absolutely yeah um particularly if you're listening on a on a phone speaker or something like that you can barely hear that stuff but well this isn't a new problem like uh on little portable radios back in the 60s you know uh on first first divergence into the Beatles of the season. But um, uh, you know the bass line on Day Tripper is played like an octave up the neck. Right. That is because the bass line wouldn't come through if Paul was playing that part lower, like the on the open strings, like the guitars are. So that's why it's up there, so it actually comes through. But, you know, it's not a new problem. They've had to be dealing with bass frequencies on tiny speakers for ages. Oh, right. Okay, that's really interesting, actually. Uh, I always wonder why it was played all the way up there. I mean, it also means you have to, like, finger all the notes so you look more impressive doing it than if you just play <laughs> on the open strings. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but aside from the the bass on, on, on this song, um, I think the general sort of takeaways from Motown that I personally get are that the backing vocals play quite a crucial role um, mm. in, in the arrangements and that there's a lot of either call and response or like the backing, like the backing vocalists are kind of like their own entity. They're not just like this thing to like, cause in rock music, backing vocals tend to just like sing the harmony of what the rock lead singer is singing. Whereas with Motown, I feel like it's like the lead singer will say one thing and then the backing vocalists often you know say the singer's male the backing vocalist might be female and they'll sing something completely different or like from a different perspective so i think i think that kind of fed into my thing like not as much as it could have done but just like lines like you know um afraid of our love because it's never been perfect and then the whole like backing vocal section in quotes goes oh watch me and do me and like just bits like that mm. i felt like were quite inherently motown um and i wanted to sort of capitalize on that as much as i could yeah, it's amazing when you look at all the groups, like how many of them are composed of like a singer and backing singers mm. uh, and how much of a signature part of the style of that company it became, particularly when it came to female artists. I mean, there's a reason why the Supremes are now known as Diana Ross and the Supremes. Right. 
Right. Or like Martha and the Vandellas and things like that. Definitely. I mean, Smokey, Ro- Smokey Robinson and the uh, Miracles. I suppose it comes from that sort of doo-wop sort of uh, tradition. You know, even pre-Motown, that thing of like having like a quartet of singers or a quintet and then you have one lead singer predominantly and the rest are kind of singing the backup. Hmm. That, yes, I agree. Sorry, my brain turned off half of this. But yes, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's such a signature part that you've got to kind of encapsulate that somehow. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I feel like one place I wish I'd have been a, a bit more simplistic with my my comp- composing uh of this song was that motown songs to their to their strength are quite simple chordally you know there's some cool tricks in there but it's generally quite straightforward it's, it's pop writing you know it's not until the 70s that you get people like stevie wonder and marvin gay like really pushing what the chords are doing yeah exactly which is why it surprises me to hear you say that um the Funk Brothers, who were like the Motown house band, um, were jazz musicians, um, primar- uh, you know, initially. Well, I mean, I suppose that comes into the way they interpret the parts. They don't write the songs, but they, like, funk up the parts and everything. Ah, okay. They've got, like, little ears for snippets of melody. Right, right, that makes sense, yeah. I think, uh, although this kind of goes against the Motown ethos a little bit, I had one um, sort of thing I was quite proud of where the song jumps between keys like so the verse and the chorus are in one key and then the bridge is in a different key and like it was i found kind of like a pretty straightforward way of transitioning uh, them so um songs verse and chorus are in d and then as you exit the verse and go into the bridge it changes to f so it kind of does this It, it goes uh where are we if i'm living through a miracle then i'm throwing it all away Afraid of my life cause it's never been perfect And then you're an F so Because you've got that kind of minor four thing At the end of the verse to sort of take you into there haven't Well you? actually the minor four um, of the verse is, is in the middle of the verse So you've got like a, a D, F sharp minor, uh, B minor And then you have the minor four here, G minor And then uh, to get into the bridge which is an F You go D a, um, B minor, and then C7, which is out of key, but acts as the five to get into F. Afraid of our love, cause it's never been worth it. You know, like that. Ooh, that's a nice, that's a nice transition. I like that. Thanks. And then I was like, oh, how do I get into the chorus? You know, the whole bit of like, um, will I ever understand what it means? That bit. And instead of like trying to be smart about it, I just started playing in D again. Uh, you know. Um, so it better be worth it Will I ever understand what it means? And all of a sudden you're back in D again, so It's it's ear candy, it's that phrase we love But it's just that thing that's sort of like So suddenly different, you come back to it and go like Ooh, that's interesting Right, right um, Yeah, and it's, uh, I think uh, any time you sort of change the key It sort of, yeah, pricks up your ears a little bit Um but yeah, uh, I mean, other than that, I can't really think of much else to say about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know how close I got to Motown, but there was there was certainly a lot of influence there. Um, you can sort of see where you've drawn from it, but then where you've also added in like your own uh, tendencies as well. Uh, have you touched on the words at all? No, I haven't. Um, so it's gem- it's basically a song about. Oh God, I thought of a way to describe it earlier. Um, it's basically kind of I, I touch on this too much. I I think one of my goals this season was to like write about different stuff, and I think uh, that's gonna be uh, more of an aim as the week weeks go by. But um, it's basically about love, but like looking in from the outside. So like the idea of like um, it's a side of life I've never seen. So like uh, just being fully in love, you know, being you know engulfed in all of that and everything and then sort of looking at Mm. it like you know i've become cynical um you know it could be a miracle but i'm throwing it all away and then just being afraid of love and all that sort of thing 
But on the whole, I tried to keep, although it's like kind of, uh, you know, you might be hearing that and going, ah, oh, it's like a quite a dark lyric or not dark, but like, you know, sad or whatever. I tried to keep it generally light in terms of like the types of words I use, just because although there are sad Motown songs, they're not like emo-y or anything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm just trying to imagine the emo Motown song now. <laughs> oh, man, that could be a whole album, Emotown. Emote. <laughs> That's the title. That's the title. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, you know, a lot of them aren't that deep. These lyrics. I mean, the second verse is just like, okay, I need some lyrics to fit. Because I, uh, another thing about this is I, because I was producing it, I actually wrote the lyrics like near the end. Like once I, I, I wrote the baseline before I wrote the lyrics. Put it that way. So, uh, like the second verse, I've got like. Well, I've never been a criminal running riot in the silver moon. Like, what does that mean? That just rhymes with the next line, which is I could try to be original, but I'd be singing the same old words to the same old tune, which um, I, I felt was kind of Motown-ish or something, you know, in some vague way. Hmm. Yeah, I can see, I can see where you're, sort of, you're coming from with that one. Yeah, it's hard to put your finger on why, but <laughs> generally I thought that was kind <laughs> of uh, in that vein. Seems to fit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I really like that one this week. That was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Um, should we take a listen to yours? Uh, suppose we must. Be prepared for a downgrade in audio quality, everybody. <laughs> uh, so my song this week, uh, inspired by Motown, um, careful use of the word inspired, um, is called Sweat Me Right Off of My Feet. And it goes like this. Sweat me right off my feet Sweat me Dance me right into the street Dance me Said if I'm glad for one thing well, I'm glad we got the chance to meet I was all alone in December All by myself Waiting for my love to change A few bad men, no one since then Thought I would be cussed to But as I headed in to the party all by my side and I caught his eye Ooh. he came on sure and we hit the floor and sparks really started to fly he swept me right off my feet dance me right into the street he said if I'm glad for one thing well I'm glad we got the chance to meet he remembered me on the 14th February of that year Valentine We widened and I felt so fine He was quite the gentleman dear We were stuck like glue in a vapro Couldn't bear to be apart It's a supercar I'm a driving star And I've got the key to his heart beep, beep. Swept me right off of my feet Danced me right into the street He said if I'm glad for one thing Well, I'm glad we got the chance to meet We were comfortable in the autumn In a sweater in his arms I don't know how I would manage now If I didn't have him or his charms he proposed to me on Christmas he is so And obviously I said yes When we share our rings and kiss I'll know that we are truly blessed He swept me right off my feet Dance me right into the street Said if I'm glad for one thing Well, I'm glad we got the chance to meet a bugger to do <laughs> that was swept me off my feet Declan's uh, Motown inspired song this week oh, I love it bud that's really good thank you you're, you're, you're too kind um, can I just say I um, oh, just so many bits I, I love the chords to it like I think you nailed that Motown chord style uh, the backing vocals are, are like they're really good, but they're novel too, with the sort of beep beep and stuff like that. Um, and also, I just love how the lyrics like progress, um, you know, over the course of a year. So you were lonely in December, and then by the time 
uh, Christmas rolls around the next year, you've already gone through Valentine's Day and all this sort of stuff, and then you end up saying yes at Christmas. I, I just think that's brilliant. It's like it's just a perfectly crafted pop song. Thank you. Um, there were a couple of uh, things that I was trying to achieve with this one so once i realized that we were going to be doing motown for week one i went back and watched that documentary uh hits of the usa the making of motown that i mentioned earlier and a couple of things sprung out from me by that uh by what uh barry gordian uh smoky robinson uh sort of said about how they would structure motown hits so the first thing is Barry Gordy talking to Smokey Robinson saying, like, your lyrics are good, but they don't have a story. They don't progress. So this is kind of one of those songs where the tune sort of stayed in my head and I wrote the words first, basically. Okay. So the idea was to try and get a sequence of events that, like you said, would run through a certain amount of time and progress, but wouldn't invalidate the chorus. Right. Right, so so you had the idea of doing it chronologically before you even started writing, was it, or uh, just the idea that it had to be a story that had some progression to it? I see. So, like, there would be a start point and an end point, which in this case, it's you know, alone in December is the start point. I said yes on Christmas is the end point, mm, mm. and I knew it had to be sort of romantically involved because they, you know, part of their ethos was to keep things light, keep things... This is kind of why Marvin Gaye had, like, a big falling out with Barry Gordy in the early 70s with what's going on. But, because um, he wanted to talk about, uh, you know, the things that were happening in the world and Barry Gordy didn't think it would sell. But uh, I thought, well, this has to be kept light then if I'm going for 60s style. Uh, so, love song. And I just literally, day one, I had this idea... Uh, had the line, you swept me right off of my feet. Which is just kind of like, it's a perfect kind of 60s girl pop kind of song. Yeah. Title. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've I'm, not searched the internet to see if that song already exists because it was so perfect. It's just like, well, I'm not going to get another one like that. Yeah, sometimes you don't want to look too deeply into these things. <laughs> yeah. Just I'll, in case. I'll claim ignorance later. Um, yes. And then the other thing compositionally was uh, they discussed briefly that they always tried to keep uh, the first 10 seconds exciting. So if you'd come straight in on the chorus, you'd come in on a really strong riff. So if you uh, remember, like, Margot, for example, like you go, boom, 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 down, da, 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 da. All that sort of stuff starts off really quickly or... Or even going back to Baby Love, if you've got uh, that sort of ascending bit going up to the first chorus. Ooh, baby Love, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the one. Uh, and that's the thing, you start on the chorus as well, so that's kind of why this one starts on that uh, swept me right off of my feet kind of thing. Oh uh, yeah, and we've spoken about like meaning to do that before, haven't we? Like whether it was on or off air, I can't remember, but just like starting with the chorus, I always think is a is a really cool thing to do. It's a power move. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it shows that your song that you're confident that you're going to be hooked in. Right, here's the rest of it, but you're hooked now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the title obviously came to me first, and that suggested like one of the girl groups as opposed to one of the boy groups. Mm. Uh, so instantly your mind heads to, well, the Renettes or like uh, the Supremes and my friend the Vandellas. Uh, so part of that sound, as we were discussing with your one, is that you have loads of backing vocals in it, which is uh, I sort of deliberately left a little bit of space in a lot of these to um, put in like backing lines and I will say that on the recording, you may have noticed that I'm not actually doing harmonies, they're unison lines. And the reason for that is I could not work out the harmonies and or sing the harmonies <laughs> in the time I had to record it. So they're a stand-in. Just imagine really nice harmonies on those bits. They sound so implied. Um, I, I will say just like one quick thing is like, it's interesting, isn't it, writing like Motown-style backing vocals because, I mean, you know, much more particularly with your song, you kind of have to write two sets of lyrics 
yeah, you've got to like consider what the protagonist of the song is saying, but then you've also got to consider what almost like the Greek chorus is going to feed into that. Right. Um, and you can use that to create fun little moments uh, or like moments of levity is maybe too strong a word, but like, you know, uh, a break. So like, you know, I saw you in the party, I caught your eye. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like uh, the... Um, I'm a driving star and I've got the key to his heart, beep, beep, etc. <laughs> I love that you sort of, um, you know, I you know you said levity isn't the, isn't the right word, but just the fact that it's so different from your normal writing style and you really embraced that, I thought was really cool. Well, I mean, go, go big or go home. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, when in Hitsville. When in Hitsville, yeah. Oh, that could be a title as well. Um, so the only other thing when it came to writing the song, I was thinking like, well, I need to keep it really simple. So the chords, I sort of had a rough idea for where the chorus would go. So I knew what the chords were going to be out of that. So it's like A to A over C sharp to D, B minor, D, E, C sharp minor, C sharp major, D and A. I just allowed myself one little non-diatonic chord there because I was feeling a bit cheeky. Um... And then just do you need to get out of the chorus? And then the first half of the uh, verse is almost uh, the 50s progression, which for those unaware is your first, your sixth, your fourth, and your fifth. So in this case, it would be A, F sharp minor, D, and E. The only way it's slightly different is that it's A, F sharp minor, B minor, E, which clearly makes all the difference. It it does. It changes that, that emotion just slightly, doesn't it? Yeah. And then the second half of each verse is S sharp minor to B minor to D to E. Um, and there is no bridge in this song. There is no break. Uh, <gasps> I know. Shocking. Scandalous. Um, because the words don't need one. There's no point. If it was a song about, like, oh, you know, I've met this guy... But it turns out that he's been cheating or he's been doing this, that and the other. Right. Or like, or I've fallen out of love with him. You would need like a bridge to sort of transition between the two feels. Yes, yes, definitely. But seeing as this is a straight linear progression, it's not a terribly complex story. It's like you fell in love and it worked out. Cool. Uh, right. <laughs> it's a very happy song, actually, I must say. Yeah, I feel slightly ill after writing something so happy. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but hey, when in Hitsville. Um, <laughs> so it just doesn't need one for the progression of that. And this sort of speaks to something that we say all the time, but we don't always put into practice, is that it's fine just to write a song with simple structure or with simple chords or with not many chords or anything like that, uh, just so long as it serves the purpose at hand. Yeah. And you wouldn't get much out of this song by making it like twice as long and adding in a dark subplot about how you're secretly unhappy. Right. Or by adding in like an extended musical break with loads of diminished chords. Definitely. Fun as diminished chords are. I mean, Swept Me Off My Feet reminds me of a song like uh, Please Mr. Postman, you know? Um, well, that, which is- that's kind of one of the key influences is like, I was thinking like when it came to the tempo of it, it's like, Please, Mr. Postman, Baby Love, like, uh, like my guy as well. Like, they're all, they're all like that kind of rhythm going forward. So, the fact that you just went for Please, Mr. Postman is um, very good. Thank you. But also, like, Please, Mr. Postman, and all those others you mentioned, like, they're so self-contained. Like, they don't say anything more than they need to say. They're not too long and they're not too short. They just say the thing they need to say and then they're done. There's no fat on them at all, which is the same with yours. Mm. It's uh, it's keep it simple, stupid, essentially. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. I need that on a poster to remind myself. Which, um, again, is one of the things they sort of were talking about when they were in the documentary when they were talking about all those hits from the 60s. Like, don't overcomplicate. Just keep it simple, keep it direct, keep it easy to understand or easy to engage with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's kind of like an argument as time goes on or as time went on um, with music of like, oh, you know, don't be too poppy, don't be too populist, you know, don't appeal to the, 
you know, lowest common denominator. But I actually think there's a real positive side of that coin. And I think Motown exemplifies it really well. It's accessibility. Because that's the big thing about uh, Motown, is that they were making all of these, like, dominant records on the charts. And it was all with uh, minority artists. Right, right. Like, uh, it's... it. Like they talk about, uh, like how they became like the musical mouthpiece for black culture in America in the '60s and part of the '70s, and they talk about. I think Jamie Fox talks about like, um, well, hang on, why do we have to present this as an accessible way? Why can't we like, you know, uh, be authentic to ourselves? And they make the point. Well, yeah, you can do that, but you won't get to the top of the charts, and you won't progress. You know, your own potential. You won't be able to if you can't engage pop with populism then you can never get a mass following you can never sort of i'm phrasing this really badly but uh you need to meet your audience halfway to get them on board with the next idea definitely i, I mean maybe this is a slightly different point but it comes to mind where like when you're being creative or like writing songs you don't want to insult your audience's intelligence by by not including clever bits for lack of a cleverer way of putting that but at the same time you know what works works you know simple chord progressions work well love songs are popular for a reason and all the rest of it you know so like there's definitely a middle ground to be to be achieved yeah populism isn't a dirty word populism for populism's sake is crevice is a dirty word but security isn't. <laughs> now, leak is a positively disgusting word. <laughs> Black out of four, people. Now, there's another dirty word. Job. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, brilliant. Don't start me on Blackadder. I'll quote it all night. Oh, me too. I love it. Love it. But, but uh, yeah, having uh, gone through all of that, I don't think there's much else to say about it. It's a very simple piece of work. Uh, and I just wish I'd had the time to like get a full drum beat and like do my best James Jameson bass riffs. They're really bad. I'm not as good as he was. Uh, and um, do it up properly. But uh, I could do that another time. It's fine. It is what it is for now. Absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, first of all, fantastic job. This is one of my favourite of your songs, period. Uh, but also by, Thank the, you. by the same token, like, We've touched on like, oh, Motown songs are like quite simply written. Oh, they're about, you know, they're love songs, all this sort of thing. But the way they're structured in terms of like going into the recording studio, I imagine a lot of the songs took longer to arrange in the band setting, in the studio setting, than they did to actually write. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like chordally, Motown songs are straightforward. But for you to like sit down and in a short space of time and like come up with a full James Jameson style line and like the drum beat that works and you know, the backing vocal harmonies and everything. I mean, there's a lot that goes into the arrangements of those songs. Mm. And they're just so tightly packed with fun little moments. Like, if you listen to the beginning of uh, Dancing in the Street, just that... If you've got two signature elements within, like, seconds of each other. Yes, absolutely. It's it's fun music, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, it's a good time to listen to it. Well, that's the thing. It's mostly around the same sort of tempo, and it's all high energy, but it just doesn't date but it is super dated at the same time like it's i think the word is timeless yes there's a timeless appeal to a lot of the hit singles that were released around that time and a lot of the albums that came with them uh and even if it is dated even if like you can't apply it directly to your own life you can't help but get like caught up in the energy of those recordings it's like listening to early 50s rock and roll there's just so much energy there that you you can't not respond to it in some way absolutely yeah and uh i mean it comes from like motown kind of evolved out of the doo-wop and uh gospel even and rock and roll and all that sort of thing of the of the years before it but it also was pre-80s you know so Hmm. That there was there was that lack of like very um oh, what am I trying to say equipment that came from a very specific period like everything you're hearing on Motown records is like a drum kit 
a bass guitar, a bass amp, uh, you know what I mean? Like a clav. Um, well, like there's nothing that you go, oh, that's the 80s, you know? Well, it's real instruments, but it's also like real instruments not recorded that well because they didn't have the facilities to. Right. Like, um, like uh, it was only recorded in like a couple of tiny studios that they sort of converted out of these houses and everything. And uh, there's actually some cool clips in the documentary of them having arguments about that. Like, oh, if you'd had like a better studio sound on my girl you would have had that as a hit for longer and everything <laughs> and then everyone else going like yeah but there's something to this broken sound because that's what people are trying to copy <laughs> yeah that's that i i could go on for ages about that type of, that whole thing of like i think nowadays this is what annoyed me at university when i studied sound engineering because like everyone's like you've got to record in a silent room with a microphone that costs ten thousand pounds or else there's no point it's like well actually when elvis recorded at the sun studios um the studio wasn't well insulated so you could hear trucks passing in the background of some recordings it's like mm. and those records are still classics you know it doesn't matter about that stuff so yeah. much Motown's like a great example for that they're not the most technically record particularly the earlier hits they're not the most technically well recorded songs but there's just so much energy and such great arrangement and such amazing vocalists and such great songs that that kind of like bypasses all of that. And, you know, the music will out in the end. You need to know what you're doing to some degree. You can't just rock up with one microphone, pop it at anywhere, sing a song <laughs> to your heart's content and expect it to be good. But like not having the £10,000 microphone, not recording in a silent room, they're not, that's not. <laughs> the death knell in like your recording career because it wasn't for theirs because there were better studios at the time right right I, it's one of the reasons the motown story is such an inspiring one because well they were hugely hugely successful you know it's kind of this homespun corporation as well. <laughs> yeah right right <laughs> <laughs> and uh didn't they say something along the lines of barry gordy uh founder of motown he says something like he wants to be like the musical equivalent of like the ford motor industry that was also from detroit well that's kind of like the backbone of the documentary like they sort of talk about his production process and like how each artist would go through this process this conveyor belt of getting artists out Mm. Uh, to the wider world. Yeah, uh, for those who haven't seen it, Hitsville, The Making of Motown, brilliant documentary, really recommend if, uh, Really recommend finding a copy if you can. Oh, it's been years since I've watched that, so I'm going to have to have to find myself a copy too. Um, I think it was only out in 2019. No way, I must be thinking of a different one then. I think we watched one in college, which was embarrassing. Yeah, it wouldn't have been that one. Huh, okay, I'll, I'll, maybe I haven't seen it then. Oh, okay, yeah, it's kind I'm of, gonna have to watch that. Yeah, it's the backbone of it is a um, interview with um, Barry Gordy and uh, Smokey Robinson. Oh, right. So, I'm just sort of seeing if this jogs your memory whether you are we are talking about the same one. I don't think so. Then, particularly if it is so, so recent mm. in its release date, but um, but yeah, I love Motown. It's brilliant. It's good stuff. Motown's great. So that's it for this first episode back of season 12. Season 12. Wow. Can't believe it's season 12. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you've got any comments, uh, if you've written a song in a week, uh, if you just want to talk about what your favourite Motown song or album is, why not write in to us at weeklysongpodcast at gmail.com uh, where we can read your emails out on the show if you want to. Uh, you can also find us on uh, YouTube and Instagram. Uh, with varying levels of efficiency in the update on that. Uh, and we've also got a Facebook page as well. If you just search Weekly Song Podcast on any of those services, uh, we should... I might have said services instead of services, but I'm just going to go with it. Just keep this in the episode. Uh, just search Weekly Song Podcast on any of those and uh, we should pop up there. Uh, we also have our own music available for release. So, Roger, where can they find your music? Well, rogerheathers.bandcamp.com is a good for first port of call. If you're a Spotify or an Apple Music person, I'm on there as well. Just search Roger Heathers um, and, uh, yeah, take a listen. Um, I'm also on Instagram, so uh, definitely give me a follow if you like that sort of thing. And, yeah. Uh, how about you, Declan? Where can people find your music? Uh, it's more or less the same places. You can go onto Bandcamp to find uh, my music, my original music. Uh 
you can find that on Spotify, on iTunes, on Apple Music, on various other services, uh, I'm sure. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube, where uh, I've been posting a load of covers that uh, me, Roger, and a few mates do. We challenge each other to cover a certain set of songs every fortnight. Uh, and those are on there. Give them a listen. They're all silly, and I love them. <laughs> I don't. I do. I don't. I do. Um, right, continuing with the theme for this season, we are going to be doing a different style of music for next week, and it's an interesting one. Roger, would you care to explain more? Yeah, sure. So next week we will have songs written in the style of TV theme songs. It's going to be sort of like for a made-up TV show. Uh, so it could be, I mean, you know, the options are kind of, uh, you know, endless to it to a degree. Uh, it could be something like uh, a 70s Saturday morning cartoon. It could be like an 80s sitcom style song. It could be, uh, you know, I'm anything. going to write a, sh- a song for a show about a traveling physician who travels around space and or time in a in a in a telephone box. No one's ever had a show like that before. Not once. <laughs> BBC lawyers have entered the chat. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see, because we're going to have to sort of write the song, but we're also going to have to explain what on earth we're on about. That's very true. It's going to be probably the m- most abstract, I want to say, of of the run of, of this season. Um, I will say as well, um, I feel like I've kind of got a little bit of a head start because um, my sister Catherine and I, we... Um, We've been remotely, of course, but we've been um, working on a cover of Scooby Doo, the seventies theme song for that. Scooby Dooby Doo, yeah, Where that one. That's the one. So um, I kind of got like a foot in the door as far as like listening to that stuff. But yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. Well, it's it's gonna be fun. I'm literally uh, listening to loads of TV soundtracks at the moment and just trying to work out what I like and what I will be putting into it. So it's going to be fun to see what survives at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely, me too. And with that tease for next week, aren't aren't you excited, audience? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Roger. It's getting hot under the collar here. Um, uh, We shall leave you uh, until next week. Uh, See you then. Ta-ra. Ta-ra.